out. May not be making the national news. It may not be making the news headlines or the publication of their denomination of their affiliation. They may not be getting applauds and accolades by, by their fellow peers. But day in and day out, they are faithfully serving, executing God. Uh, I remember uh, this guy I know, uh, uh, well, Family of Grace is just celebrating our 10th year. And not long after planning Family of Grace, there was this fellow that I knew. And, and he, uh, man, he just, every time I would talk to him, he wanted to start a church. And everything was bad. And, uh, you know, everything about the traditional church was bad. And it was bad. And it was bad. And, man, a lot of church planners are like that. They've got it all figured out. And. They're the, the answer to all the world's problems. And so finally, after two years of this conversation happening quite frequently, I just looked at him and I said, dude, the established churches can't be all that bad because you and I are both products of them. I said, so you either need to go plant a church or quit talking about it and quit bashing the established church. Matter of fact, I, I was thinking about how many churches that most people don't even know? They don't even know the name of the church. But yet they have sent missionaries around the world. They have sent some of the greatest pastors into the world. Yet people don't even know who they are. Not long ago, uh, I, I called the person who led me to Christ. And, and I told him, I said, uh, Hey, man, I just, uh, I don't need anything. I just, I want to give you a report on what God is doing in your churches in Louisiana and your churches in the country of Peru. And, and he said, and so we were talking, because you see, when you are faithful, no matter where you are, no matter how little known that place may be, or how well known that place may be, when you are faithful there, and you faithfully carry out the gospel, then that, my friends, carries out to the next generation and the next generation. And, I, well, I'm telling you, I, I mean, Jesus came up with the original pyramid dynamic. Amen? I mean, I know that seems a little sketchy, saying that in a sermon, associating that with Jesus. But, I mean, he said that thing is just the power of multiplication. And it's all being added back. And so last week we looked and he called these few disciples. And now this week his ministry has been going on for quite a while now. And, uh, you know, last week it had just started. But today I want to share with you from the book of Luke. And I want us to start reading in chapter 9, Luke chapter 9 and verse 57. Luke 9 and verse 57. They had journeyed to Jerusalem. And it says, and as they were traveling on the road, Someone said to you, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to someone else, follow me, the same declaration. And the Lord said, he said to the Lord, well, first let me go and bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury the dead. And, uh, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go and say goodbye to those in my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Now, 
I realize in this passage of scripture that Jesus has said some words. He's made some definitive declaration. But what was louder than words was the, was the word pictures that he was painting. He was painting a portrait with his words. He didn't just say, hey guys, if you come follow me, we, I don't really know where we're going to stay at. That would be a way of saying that. But no, he, he goes and he, he paints a word picture. And, and in their minds, they're picturing this fox going into its den, this bird fluttering and going into its nest. And he says, you know how they have a, a hole in the ground, and you know how they have a den, and you know how a bird has a nest, and, and man, uh, I don't even have that. And that picture that he painted was so much louder than anything he was saying. And then he progresses through this, and he gives the story of, of, of the person who at the funeral needing to go and bury someone. And he, he paints another word picture. And that picture is so much uh, stronger than anything he was saying. And then he, then he paints a third picture on a canvas. And, and, and you get this picture of a man in the field. And, he, and he's following behind his ox or his, his mule. And he's following behind them. And there's this plow that's coming behind him. And he says, no one that wants to follow me, once he puts his hand to the plow, he cannot look back. Those pictures that he painted was so much louder than anything he had just said. And so then we move into verse 10 here, chapter 10. And it's an interesting dynamic when you look at it. And it says, And after the Lord, after this, the Lord appointed 70. And he sent them out ahead of him in pairs to every town and a place where he himself was about to go. And he told them, Guys, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, I want you to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out the workers into the harvest. Verse 3. Now, go out. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Boy, there's a word picture, isn't it? Lambs among wolves. Don't carry a money bag, traveling money bag, or, or sandals with you. Don't greet anyone along the road, whatever house you enter. First, say peace to the house. If a son of peace is there, or a person of peace, then your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will be returned to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer, for the workers is worthy of his wage. Don't be moving around from house to house looking for the best cook. And when you enter any town and they welcome you, eat the things that are set before you. Heal the sick that come to you, for the kingdom of God has come near. And when you enter any town and they do not welcome you, he says, go out into the streets and say, we are wiping the, our feet. We are wiping off as a witness against you the dust of your town. And we are leaving. And we don't even want it to cling to our feet. Know this for certain. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you that it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than a town who rejects you. Now in verse 17 it says, and the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Verse 18 says, he said to them, well, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning flashing. And look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and all the power over their enemy. And nothing will ever harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, as we look at this, there's a couple of things that I want you to note about it. 
Number one, I want you to look at the radical call. Jesus had started out with just a handful. He now has 12 disciples. Matter of fact, just a few chapters earlier, there were thousands upon thousands of people following him. It was just a few chapters before this that he fed 5,000 people. 5,000 men. Wasn't counting the women and it wasn't counting the children. So he had probably fed over 10,000 people there that day by the Sea of Galilee. And so when Jesus is making this declaration, there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people who are following him. And a lot of people are following him and a lot of people are going through this motion. But then he issues this call. And out of the thousands of people, 70 of them step forward. 70 of them step up. A lot of them wanted to go, and that's when he made the declaration. Now, if you want to go with me, there's no, going to be no place for you to sleep in. There's going to be no place for you to be coddled. I don't have a home. I don't have a, I don't have a place that I work out of, and, and you're going to be away from your family, and, and you're going to be away from those that you love, but you've got to keep your hand to the plow, and you've got to keep looking forward and not looking back. A radical call. And out of the... Thousands of people, 70 of them, say, I'll, I'll accept that call. And so then, in this radical call, it goes even a little bit further. And it, he says, now, if you're going to accept this radical call, then you're going to be required to have radical faith. Now, you think it was bad enough, he paints this word picture for them and, and says, guys, there's going to be no place for you to lay your head. You're not going to have your family around you. It's going to be a lot of hard work and all of these things. And then he comes back and says, but now that's the easy part. I'm going to send you out and I want you to go out and, and uh, I don't want you to take anything with you. I don't want you to bring an extra change of clothes. I don't want you to, to, I don't want you to take a money bag with you. I don't want you to take anything with you. I want you to go out. And you remember I told you that uh, we don't have a place to lay our heads. So I want you to go out and I want you to look for a person of peace. And when you find that person of peace, I want you to stay there. And I want you to do life there. In that section that I plant you. And I want you to minister on behalf of the kingdom of God. Now, you remember last week we looked at a sermon dealing with the, the original four fishermen. And one of the word pictures that we talked about, one of the things that was louder than words, was when those boys came back to their father who they had been in this business with, this fishing business. And we went through all of that and the struggle that they probably had to go through because they were leaving the family business. And we talked about one of the biggest word pictures that was out there that was louder than anything they could say was when those boys went into their home, packed themselves a little nap sack and threw it over their shoulders you remember we talked about that and they threw that knapsack over their shoulders and they started walking off down that dusty road and the picture to that father was so much louder than anything they could say when the father was in one place and the son was going in the opposite direction my friends that was louder than words but my goodness what's so much louder than words in this passage of scripture is these 70 step up and he says, hey guys, I don't want you to have anything in your hands when you leave. I just want you to take off. Now, have you ever done much traveling? You know that uh, we carry a lot of stuff with us. Matter of fact, uh, 
Uh, one of the reasons I, I, I uh, like to travel a lot of times by myself internationally is because uh, I don't take much with me because, boy, I hate to wait in line on a suitcase. I mean, you got to go through this whole process, and man, if you got to wait on your suitcase, then you get way behind the whole airplane. I mean, I like to grab my bag, throw it over my shoulder, and take off running and try to get to the front of the line and be the first, or at least in the first 20 in customs, because you can get hung up waiting on stuff. And Jesus says, I want you to have radical faith that wherever you go, you're going to trust me for the answer. What God is looking for in our city is people that will have radical faith. And more than trusting in God, more than, I mean, more than trusting in their self and their own ability, that they're trusting in God. That we are living our, our life in the faith, in a faith family that is trusting in God. That if God doesn't show up, we're in trouble. If God doesn't meet our need, we're in trouble. But beyond that, he wants us to live that way in our personal life. That we are trusting God for our daily bread. That's why he says, give us our daily bread. That we are trusting in him, relying in him, believing in him and his sufficiency. And this dynamic, it's interesting. Because what Jesus was saying is, I want you to leave your safety net I want you to leave that that you're comfortable with, and I want you to trust me. Now, in this dynamic, God may not be calling you to, to go around the world. He may not be calling you to, to, to uh, go to another country, to go to another state, to go to another city. But I guarantee you, God is calling you as a child of God to go across the street and restore the art of neighboring. Matter of fact, this week is Camp Peo. And the very subject that we're preaching on and teaching the youth about this week is staying is the new going. That you don't have to have a passport to go around the world to be a missionary. Because our city is as much in peril as a lot of places. Our city is in need of the gospel being fleshed out in the streets as much as any place in the world. Why? Because people are no longer gathering in our assemblies to hear what we're saying. So we're going to have to engage the city. City and let them see what we're doing. Let them see what we're doing. We don't have a shortage of churches. We don't have a shortage of places to establish and assemble. Matter of fact, I remember when I planted Family of Grace Church in Alexandria, people would say, why? We've got, we've got all of these churches in our city and we have what they call in the religious world the, den the denominational apocalypse in Alexandria. You say, what in the world is that? Well, all the denominational headquarters are here. No matter which one you are, they all assembled here. and They have a little shingle out in Alexandria. Some big, some small, but they're all here. And yet in the seat of the denominational apocalypse, we have a shortage of the gospel being manifested. The Bible says this in John 1.1, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of God, the only begotten of the Father. Listen, you may not have a platform, you may not have a pulpit, you may not be the preacher of a church, but you have a spot in the world, and God is calling you to live a radical faith right where you are. Not necessarily preaching, not necessarily leading Bible studies, but leading your life in such a way that the employees and co-workers look at you and say, gosh, there's just something different about that. There's just something different about that person. 
so many people spend the majority of their life waiting for the if-then or if-when. God, I'll do this if you do this. Or God, I'll do this if you provide that. Or when you provide this, God, I'll do that. So many people spend the majority of their time, and, and preachers are the world's worst. They will go and sit through seminary classes year in and year out, and they won't minister as they're going. You don't have to wait to have an assignment. This is the mission field. This is our area. This is our parish that God has positioned us in to shine forth the glory of God with radical faith because he issued us a radical call. And it takes radical faith because the mission is pretty crazy. The mission is to connect with people that we do not know. People that we do not know. But one of the reasons that we are unwilling to connect with people that we do not know is because we fear rejection. Isn't it amazing that we fear being rejected by people we don't even know? Like, so, I, I know I'm telling the truth because I have the same struggle. Oh my goodness, well, what if my neighbor rejects me? Well, if you don't even know them, what does it matter? You say, well, but they go say, that's that house where that crazy man lives. Can I ask you this? And I'm asking myself this question. As a matter of fact, Christy and I are even having a conversation about it this morning. This restoring the art of neighboring, living the radical mission to meet people on our streets. Man, I tell you, I flunked that test because I'm so busy. I'm so busy trying to do everything else that we forget the people who are right there around us. Right there around us. I'm not saying that you have to invite them over to a Bible study. Look, we need to look for the people of peace on our own street. How many people on your street do you know? I'm ashamed to say there's a lot on my street that I don't know. I'm purposing in my heart to make it my mission. To not just embrace the uttermost parts of the earth, but to embrace the street that I live on. People that are in my hood, in my neighborhood, that I may be able to live this radical mission right in front of them. There were thousands that wanted the experience. There were thousands that wanted to see the miracles. Matter of fact, you could almost call them miracle mongers. They would follow Jesus just to see what he was going to do next. But there was 70 that stepped up and said, God, I'll do this. <clears throat> I'll accept the radical call. I'll live by radical faith because the mission is worth it. The mission is worth it. The mission is worth it. We fear rejection. We fear that we have to give up something. We will do these things that will require radical obedience. I'm talking about that you obey God. Look at what it says in verses 10 and 11. I mean, he says not only did he send them out without a knapsack and without all these things, but he says in verses 
uh, uh, 10, he says, when you enter a town and they, they don't welcome you, he says, go out in the streets and, and, and leave that city behind you. Put it behind you. Shake the dust off your feet and move forward. You know what Jesus says? You're predestined to fail with some people. But I'm telling you that you're predestined to win with much more. It's amazing that the majority of people that we come in contact with each week is sitting there waiting for somebody to show them love. You hear these horror stories. I could share a few. Some crazy encounters. But people are struggling. People are looking for the answer. And Jesus is the answer for the world today. And we are his servants. Would you obey God to restore the art of neighboring? My friends, that would be so much louder than words. So much louder than anything you could say. A cup of warm coffee. A cup of hot tea, iced tea, snowballs, something with a neighbor in this day and age is embodying the gospel because people don't do it anymore. Back in the day it probably wouldn't have been because it's just what people do. But people don't do that anymore. Matter of fact, when we think about this, God has given us radical power to live out in our city when we walk in constant obedience. You know what's interesting about these guys? Out of the thousands, I mean, really, really that wasn't a good sales pitch. There was thousands of people around him and only 70 stepped up. So religiously speaking, the litmus test, he'd have probably failed that day. Jesus would have. He only had 70 step up. But out of the 70, we don't even know their name. I mean, you can go to the history books of the early church fathers and you can find a few names here and there. I mean, when you think about the 12, even out of the 12, you really only think about three, Peter, James, and John. Those are the three that always come up again and again and again. But look at what the 70 came back and said. They came back and said, wow, even the demons submit to us. And then look at what Jesus says to them. I praise you, Father, in verse 21. And Lord of heaven and of earth, <clears throat> because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to these infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things you've entrusted to me. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal. And then he turned to the 
disciples. And he said privately to them. Look at this. The eyes that see the things you see are blessed. For I tell you that prophets and kings wanted to see the things you saw. Hear the things you heard and they did not hear them. They did not see them. Nameless. But I'm telling you that God was doing something special in their lives. And when they came back, they were overwhelmed at what God was doing. And he says, the one thing I want you to rejoice in is that you are a child of God. Rejoice in that fact of what I am doing. what I am doing I shared last night many of the heroes of the faith are not heroes while they're living but they're not heroes till after they're gone I mean think about it Some of the greatest biographies that you've read about the heroes of the faith weren't necessarily the hero of the moment. It wasn't until after the fact that people realized how much God had done in their life that they were ever really and truly recognized. Would you serve God even if your name was never in neon lights? Would you serve God faithfully in the art of neighboring even even if you were never the keynote speaker anywhere? Would you serve God faithfully right where you are? Because who knows who God is going to raise up in your life. It has a residual impact. It just keeps on building, keeps on adding. God keeps on blessing. I mean, Billy Graham. Billy Graham came off of a dairy farm. D.O. Moody came out of a shoe shop. David came out of the, the fields and the prairie. Billy Graham, everybody knows his name. If you ask most people on the street who is Billy Graham, they at least know the name Billy Graham. 
But do you know how many nameless people made Billy Graham successful? Billy Graham was a three-stranded card. Everybody knew Billy Graham, but unless you really followed his ministry, you probably didn't really know who George Beverly Shea was. That name really didn't just stick out unless you watched his programs regularly. And then most people, there's the third one, Cliff Barrows, who was the, the mastermind behind so much. But, but, but those three weren't really what made his ministry so successful. It was before Billy ever went in any area to do any ministry. They would gather together <clears throat> nameless people from across the city where they was going, across the region where they were going, and those people would toil the soil. They would till it up. They would prepare the seed bed so that when Billy came and planted, the soil would be right for the seed. And then the same way he came in, he would leave out. He would come in for that moment. For that night, that three nights, that whatever it is. And then he would move out. But you know who is responsible? To make productive saints of God out of all those newborn babes? Nameless people. That nobody even hardly ever knows their name. But day in, day out. They're doing the work of the ministry. My friends today, you may be the person that is doing more good than you ever know. Right where you are. Right on your street. Right in your, on your corner, in your neighborhood, in your shop, in your business, in your garage. Right where you are. God knows your name. And he says, I want you to rejoice in this fact. That your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now let your actions be louder than your words. Father God, in Jesus' name, as you speak to our hearts today, <clears throat> Lord, may we be encouraged in this moment to follow you, to obey you. You're such an awesome Savior. Lord, today, maybe... There's somebody like me. Lord, maybe they're struggling with the art of neighboring. Maybe one of the greatest struggles is time. Maybe it's commitment. Lord, today, I pray that you speak to our hearts. Maybe there's somebody here that's never had their name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Maybe today they'll accept that call to be your child. In Jesus' name.